We do have uh, Pastor Michael Nicholas and his wonderful wife, Alison, here. And uh, it is so good to have you here. You are truly good and wonderful friends. And uh, we honor your, your ministry. We honor your, your wisdom and your, uh, your oversight into our lives. Pastor Michael is, is, is one of the men that I look to for guidance uh, and also for uh, advice. So he's on my advisory board. So if there's ever a problem with me, and uh, talk to him. <laughs> talk to Catherine. So we would love to welcome uh, Pastor Michael as he comes to bring the word this morning. Why don't we stand to our feet? Welcome him this morning. Awesome delight, uh, delight for Alison and I to be with you this morning. Not on? Change it. Got to take this one off then. Let's leave it on. It's on? Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Wow. What an awesome beginning to a meeting. There are not too many churches I've been in where people get saved during praise and worship. Wonderful presence of God in the house. My name's Michael Nicholas. My wife is Allison. Been together since uh, she was 16, I was 17. You've just uh, gathered from my accent. I'm not from these parts. I'm from South Auckland. <laughs> the land of the giants. My iwi is Sa Iwi, South African Kiwi. My hapu is Faith City. My river is the Holy Spirit. My mountain is God. And my king is Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm trusting this morning that just through God's grace, we're going to have some good kaya this morning. Amen. Wow. Thank uh, Pastors Dave and Kate for entrusting their pulpits to me for the next three hours. You laugh, but it's true. I'm going to go until they drag me off. <laughs> I'm also, uh, it, it, it truly is an honor for Alison and I to be here this morning. Our, our connection to this church goes back to six months after we arrived on these shores nearly 22 years ago. And uh, we are deeply, deeply indebted to Mike and Joy. To you, he's an apostle. To me, he's a father. He's a mentor. And... Alison and I owe you a debt of love, big time. We really do. Mike and Joy took Alison and I under their, under their wing all those years ago. They made us feel welcome on these new shores in this foreign land, the great Southland. And uh, they've mentored us and discipled us ever since. I'm sure many of you are not aware of that. So I've been the one son that they've hidden away in the field. <laughs> but times are changing. So if you go to Mike at lunch, at the break, and you go, who's he? I've never heard of him. Well, yeah, I'm in good company. We live in interesting times, do we not? Crazy times. 
We've heard the word unprecedented times, and they are unprecedented times for our generation. But I want to share with you this morning that in the shaky times we find ourselves in, in the environment we find ourselves in where many do not know what tomorrow holds, where you read, uh, according to the BBC yesterday, that nearly a quarter of a billion people stand to lose their jobs in the next few months. That's 2,500 million people on this, on this globe will have uh, no source of income. Governments that could possibly prop them up and support them for a season. They're printing money like there is no tomorrow. The U.S. dollar is completely valueless. Times in the natural are perilous, but I bring you good news this morning because we have an unchanging king and an unshakable kingdom. And I want to talk to you. It's my privilege this morning to both teach, preach, do whatever. I'm a bit of a mess at the moment. My butterflies are all over the place, but I'm trusting that under, just under the Holy Spirit, they're going to begin flying in formation soon. Amen. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the kingdom of God. And the word that I have for you from a prophetic point of view is that, and, and could I have that first slide, please, that says discipling cities. It takes an apostolic household to disciple a city. And God has called you to disciple the, your city. And when I talk about, say, say, your city, I'm talking about the Hawke's Bay. God is wanting in and through you as an apostolic people to bring in in new measures and new dimensions and new realities to bring in the awesome glory and power and splendor of the kingdom of God into every street, into every sphere, into every gate within the Hawke's Bay. Can I have an amen? amen. This church is called to be an apostolic household. I'm going to share with you this morning from the Scriptures that if we truly understand the kingdom of God, and I believe what God wants me to bring fresh revelation, some new treasures as well as old this morning, we're going to see from the Scriptures that this kingdom program enunciated by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago at its core is a socio-economic Movement empowered by the Holy Spirit. A socio-economic movement empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can you turn with me in your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 9. Jesus' disciples said, Lord, how do we pray? And of course, we know that prayer is fellowship, it is communion, it is intimacy with the Lord. It is relationship with the Lord. It is not a program. Yes, it is a set time, but prayer at its very core is fellowship with God. It is communion with God. It is intimacy with God. Therefore, prayer, by its very nature and essence, is 24-7. We even fellowship with the Lord while we sleep. Amen. Yeah. And so Jesus' disciples ask him a question. 
And the context of the question would have been them seeing the Jews of the day praying in the temple, wearing their phylacteries and their tassels, and, and praying in different ways and different traditions, and being seen, seen in public places. And they turn around to Jesus and say, Lord, how shall we pray? I'm back on. How shall we pray? How do we pray? The context here is they'd seen Jesus turn everything right side up. He wasn't like the normal rabbis or teachers or leaders of the day. He was unique. He was different in every way. Lord, how do we pray? And this is how we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some later manuscripts continue, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. I believe that in this key prayer, there is a framework within which if we operate and live and move as the children of God, it is the safest place to be. There's a divine order here. With the chaos we see, with the economic chaos we see, with the fear that's gripping people's hearts in New Zealand, in Auckland, all over the place, where their job losses, where governments are scratching their heads on how to solve the economic problems of the day, Herein lies a kingdom key, and the key is this. It is Father first in all things. He is your Papa. He is Abba. He is your Daddy before anything. This would have been extremely strange to the disciples of Jesus Christ. They would have known all the Hebrew adjectives to describe God, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, but to now turn around and, and, and engage God as Father was a quantum leap for them. And so Father comes first. The next thing is hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. It's not bread before kingdom, it is kingdom before bread. And herein lies a key to steering clear of a global economic crisis in the body of Christ. Father first, kingdom second, bread third. The Lord's prayer is not our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Give me this day my daily bread. If my ship comes in, if you take care of my needs, if you increase my business, whatever the, the excuse may be, when you put bread before kingdom, it's the wrong order. You don't get kingdom results. Amen. Could you please stand with me? I want us together to pray the first part of this prayer. And I'd like us to pray it a few times, three or four times. I'll lead us. 
But this is what we're going to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let's go together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may be seated. Let's turn to Matthew uh, uh, chapter 6. we there. Let's go to verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The context of this verse is Jesus Christ says earlier on, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Amen? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say, the eyes, the lamp of the body. And the context of this particular passage is that Jesus Christ is saying that in life, one of the biggest challenges you will ever have is the challenge between serving God or serving money. You cannot serve both. You cannot serve both. Jesus goes on to say, do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Your heavenly Father, Abba, Papa, He knows as His children that you have need of all these things. And then Jesus says this statement in verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness all these things will be given to you as well. If you seek first, the antidote to this global crisis, this economic crisis, is to put kingdom before bread, is to seek the kingdom first in everything, to seek it first in everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and you have an insurance policy from the treasury of heaven that you will never run out of lack ever. In fact, God is not a God of a little. He's not a God of, of just enough. He's a God of a of abundance and, over, and overflow, even in the midst of economic impossibility. But we have to, as we saw in the Lord's Prayer, have the order right. We have to have the order right. It's to seek first His kingdom. And we'll see what that means this morning in this message this morning. To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. To seek His righteousness always puzzled me. When I saw the work of the cross and I began to understand as an, as an ex-Roman Catholic boy, when I began to understand the righteousness of Christ 
and that at the cross it was, it is done, it is done, it is done, and it's not, not it, do, do, do. When I understood that it was through righteousness, faith, and uh, that I'm actually, through grace and faith that I'm saved, and then received the righteousness of Christ, it began to puzzle me how I could seek first His kingdom and righteousness. How can we seek for what we already have? Until I understood that I stand righteous in Christ, but I live righteous through Christ. I stand righteous in Christ, and that is a work of the cross. But I live righteous through Christ, and that's the way of the cross. And to seek first the kingdom of God, and he's for the hawk's babe, is to seek first his rule and reign. But I'm going to demonstrate to the world, I've pulled down the idols of mammon. I'm actually shaking what can be shaken. I'm uprooting what, is, what can be uprooted. I'm breaking down what can be broken down. That's actually an apostolic mandate, by the way. And I'm building and I'm planting. I'm sowing seed. I'm sowing kingdom seed. You are the kingdom seed of God. If we, just on this theme of the kingdom, if you understand uh, Matthew chapter 13, which is the parable of the sow of the seed, it is the key parable of all parables. If you don't understand, Jesus said, the parable of the sow of the seed, you will never understand any parable. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if you don't understand the sow of the seed and what that means, you won't understand any other parable. And in Matthew, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sow of the seed, uh, Jesus speaks about a farmer who scatters seed that falls on different kinds of soil, which represent the heart of man, the heart of woman. That seed starts off in Matthew chapter 13 as being the message of the gospel of the kingdom. It's the message of the kingdom. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God, right. of the rule and reign of God. Amen? If you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it is Christ-likeness everywhere in everything. Amen? Amen? And so the seed starts out being a message. But the Matthew 13 progresses from soils and from wheat and from weed and from, from, from uh, leaven and, and, and yeast and a small mustard seed. And then when the disciples say to Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, tell us the parable, tell us about the weeds and the wheat. Jesus progresses onwards and he says that the field is the world and the sower is the son of man, that's Jesus. And the seed, the good seed, the sons and daughters of the kingdom. There's a progression from a message to, to messengers. You are earthen vessels who hold this treasure of the gospel, and you are the seed that God scatters into the Hawks Bay and beyond. He scatters you into the highways and byways of your environment. He puts you in strategic places. He determines the times and the seasons and the places that you will live, says Acts 17, so that... People will seek him because you are there. You are the wheat scattered into the field. And it, the kingdom begins within you, but then it explodes without of you and through you. And that parable of, of the sow of the seeds, that series of seven parables, is Jesus' broad paintbrushes. He's, he's saying to the disciples, this is what the kingdom will look like for the next 2,000 years. I'm going to scatter seed, and the seed's going to grow. It's going to fall into the soil of the world. The, 
The field is the world and you are the seed. And that's how it progresses. And many children of God actually get stuck at the first part of Matthew 13, not realizing that Jesus said that you are his kingdom seed. Isn't that profound? The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who should have been in the temple. He wasn't in the temple because the temple was corrupt. If you look at the lineage of John the Baptist, John the Baptist's lineage, he should have been the high priest. And a high priest was trained to, to, to identify a lamb without spot, wrinkle, wrinkle, and blemish. And once a year during Passover, they would bring lambs in front of the high priest, and he would say, no, 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 no. And when he saw a lamb without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, that's the Passover lamb. And so John the Baptist's entire life, he was trained, filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, before birth, in the womb of his mother. He was trained. He was trained for one purpose, And that is as the legitimate high priest to identify first and foremost the king, then to call out a kingdom people unto himself through repentance. And then what John the Baptist's role was, was to call them to produce fruit of the kingdom, which we will see this morning what that actually means. And so John the Baptist's entire life was trained for one purpose and one purpose alone, to identify the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the very first thing that John said was this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. The first words of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. Then he sends out the 12, empowers them, tells them to go out and preach what? The gospel. What gospel? the good news of the kingdom of God. Then the 72, he empowers them, he sends them out, and he tells them, go out and preach in the highways and byways. Preach the gospel, the good news. What good news? That the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? This is all before the cross. The cross, many people believe that the gospel is a message of salvation. This message of the kingdom is being preached three years before the cross. Are you with me? The gospel of the kingdom is the good news of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in everything. In everything. And that is good news to your city. Good news to the Hawks Bay, that in Jesus, in Jesus, when he rules and reigns in everything, mankind's total need is met with the Father's total answer in Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why Jesus Christ is referred to as the Word? because he is the sum total of everything that the Father has to say about himself. And so John the Baptist begins his ministry with the good news of the kingdom. Jesus begins his ministry with good news of the kingdom. He sends out the nine, tells them to preach the good news of the kingdom. The 72 preach the good news of the kingdom of God. It's important. You'll see how important this actually is. 
then teaches them how to pray. Father, how do we pray? Jesus, how do we pray? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Then Jesus at the cross, buried, raised again on the third day. For 40 days after his death and his resurrection, what did Jesus do? Through many convincing proofs, he demonstrated that he was alive. And for 40 days under the power of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts tells us that Jesus Christ taught them about the kingdom of God. Amen? And then he tells them, they, then he says to them, but I want you to wait. Because you're going to take this kingdom message, but I want you to wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father has promised. Wait for the gift my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Pentecost refers to the Spirit as the flame of love. Wait for this flame of love. A little later on in Acts chapter 1, they say to Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the places that my Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive dunamis, you will receive power, you will receive a divine enabling when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and then you will be my martyrs. You'll be my martus, my martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we see the book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an explosion of the church. And Paul the apostle and, and, and all the apostles go out and the church goes out and there's persecution and they all, wherever they go, they preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Would you agree with me this morning? It is a very, very, very important message. And it is what you and I should be seeking first in everything. In everything. It is the treasure hidden in the field. It is the pearl of great price. It is what we live and what we die for. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning if we understand what the gospel is and what the gospel looks like, which we'll get to in a moment. And when this thing of the kingdom of God actually grips our hearts and we understand what the gospel is, the rule and reign of God, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll say, good morning, Lord. Yeah. Not good, Lord, it's morning. You'll no longer have smooth knees and colorless dreams. A missionary to the Philippines a, a number of years ago came across a group, a young group of young people, of young Maoist rebels. And if you understand the roots of Maoism, they were farmers, they were, they were peasants that were involved in agriculture. And this Christian missionary said to this young group of people, he said to them, what is it about Maoism that attracts you to Maoism but doesn't actually attract you to the church? A young group of people, they said, Maoism gives us a big story, a big picture that we can understand. The second thing, it is a cause worth living and dying for. And thirdly, it is a brotherhood that we can belong to. What a disaster 
because they had seen the church as a building with its steeples and men in their robes, and they saw nothing that was actually attractive. But I want to say to the young people here this morning and to the old people, but to the young people for a moment, the cause of the king and his kingdom is something that you can live and die for. The body of Christ is a fraternal. It's a brotherhood that you can actually, a sisterhood that you can join and be a part of. It is a mission that is impossible. I tell you, my, my family, years ago, in 1992, when I got saved, I was involved in the world, married to my gorgeous wife, practicing law, involved in business, doing all sorts of things, wanted the jets and the money and, 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 and a whole bunch of stuff. It's, it's all irrelevant. It's all a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Savior. But when I understood, when I understood, when this thing of the reality of the kingdom of God gripped my heart, everything else for me personally became a loss. And I remember going to our pastor and I said to him, Jim, I want to preach the gospel. And then the rest is history. The gospel of the kingdom of God is what we live and die for. It is what you get up in the morning for. It is what you live for. It is why you go to business. It is why you do the things that you do. It is your motivation for life. And the people who are gripped with this thing of the gospel are unstoppable, are unshakable. And I sense that in this house. I sense it in this house. There's an apostolic spirit on this house. It's a pioneering spirit, an entrepreneurial spirit. It's a building spirit, a team spirit that can see the whole and the parts. It recognizes, it discerns, it brings together God's diverse grace gifts. It knows gifts for the advancement of the kingdom. This is a prophecy I have for you. It is ever growing in understanding of the kingdom of God, and it forcefully advances the kingdom. It sees cities transformed. It is powerful. It knows how to equip. It enlarges and it collaborates. It tears down, it uproots, it builds and it plants. That is what an apostolic spirit is. And you know that in the fivefold ministry, my brothers and sisters, it is the only fivefold gift where God says, test it. Test it. Test it. Test the office of the apostle. Very, very important. Why? Because if the devil can get in and he can mess up this thing that's called apostolic, it messes the foundations because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Amen? And when we talk about an apostolic church, we talk about a church that is, is caught up with the gospel of the kingdom and it is bent on mission into the communities and the nation and the nations of the earth. It is, it is gripped with going because how can we be silent without knowing? Amen? Now, let me slow down. I am happy, by the way. Believe you me. I'm very happy. I'm happy. <laughs> 
For some of you, I want to bring out some new treasure, and for many of you, this will be old. But to understand the kingdom of God, which is the rule and reign of God, we need to have a greater understanding of the throne of Christ. Because Christ rules from His throne in heaven. And when we understand the nature and the foundations of the very throne where all authority in the heavens and the earth emanates, when we understand something of that authority, we'll have a greater understanding of what the rule and reign of Christ looks like. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to wash you over with a whole bunch of scriptures. I'm going to read them, and I'm not going to give you the reference. I'll give them to Pastor Dave. My background is law. I say that because we're going to hear the word justice a lot. One of the things that is such a mess today is the whole idea of justice. It's a mess. Social justice warriors running around with their medical bracelets, hey, Mike? Easily offended. And all sorts of issues going on in the world today. But I want to read to you. You know, whenever there is the real, you find the counterfeit. Isn't that true? Right in the midst of the nonsense we're experiencing on the earth today, where everyone, uh, like, like, everyone has an opinion, like armpits. Everyone's got a couple of them. They don't always smell so great. When it comes to the issue of justice and righteousness, there's such misunderstanding. There's such confusion. And what the church tends to do is when there's a mess, we shy away from it and we've dropped the very thing that God wants us to pick up and be the champions of in this day. What does the throne of Christ look like? Let me wash you with the word. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. These are all different scriptures. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I will sing of your love and your justice, says David. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 said this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The prophet then goes on later on in Isaiah 16, he says, in love, in love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery or crookery or double dealing or price gouging or greed. I hate it, says the Lord. I hate robbery and iniquity. 
The book of Deuteronomy says this in many places. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien in clothing. And you are to love those who are immigrants, those who are refugees. For you yourselves were immigrants or refugees in Egypt. And then the book of Micah says this. He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of us? To act or do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly before our Lord. What God revealed to me was this. You can never truly administer the justice from the throne of God until such time as you understand grace. Because when we understand the grace of God, the way we administer the justice of God will be tempered with mercy. Today, everybody wants justice. Let's string them up. Let's have mob justice. The rule of law is vanishing from Western civilization, the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Now it's trial by public media. It's trial by public opinion. Everyone's got an armpit on the issue. Amen? All these issues. It's a Micah. There we go. So what has he showed us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our Lord. Phenomenal thing is this. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Can we turn there quickly, please? Revelation 19, 8. This is what's to come. In verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Now, I'm going to shock you. For fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. She isn't only a righteous bride, but she's clothed herself with acts of righteousness. She stands righteous in Christ, but she lives righteous through Christ. And if we understand what that all means about these righteous acts, let me give you an illustration. I'm trying to close off 20 hours of preaching in five minutes. The very first sermon of John the Baptist, I want, you, I want you to catch this in your hearts. Today I'm going to give you the why. Another time, Pastor Dave, we can talk about the how. But I want you to catch the spirit of this more than the, the details of this. The very first sermon of John the Baptist and the only recorded sermon of John where John calls the crowds to repentance and he says to them, 
The axe is already at the root of the trees. First of all, he starts off by saying to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Then he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. Then they ask him the most profound question. Here is John, the very first sermon and only recorded sermon that John preaches after 400 silent years, the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. You vipers, produce fruit, the fruit of the kingdom. The Jews knew exactly what he said. What he meant when he said the fruit of the kingdom. They said, what shall we do? Listen to John's response. What shall we do? This is profound. John answers, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors came to him to be baptized. Teacher, they added or asked, what should we do? Don't collect more than you are required to, he told them. Tax collectors in those days made their money out of collecting taxes. It was a business. They were price gouging. They were taking more than what they were entitled to. The world is rife with this. Soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. What was he talking about here? He was talking about the administration of justice and living righteously and teaching people how to live righteously. Then, of course, we fast forward to the next great sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ where he goes into a a little synagogue in his hometown and he opens up the scroll and he opens up the, the passage at Isaiah 61 and he stands there and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To do what? To preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, to open the eyes of the blind, the strengthening with forgiveness, them that are bruised, and the year of the Lord's Jubilee. What was Jesus doing? The King of all kings, who was off his throne in heaven, he, he, he put before the whole of mankind, of humanity, his manifesto into the future, the, the, the outline of his kingdom. What was he saying? He was saying it is good news to poor people. In other words, for those who are economically disinherited, I have good news for you. For the release of the captives, those who are socially and politically disinherited, I have good news for you. Opening the eyes of the blind, those who are physically disinherited, I've got good news for you. The strengthening with forgiveness, them that are bruised for the moral and those who are morally and spiritually disinherited, I've got good news for you. And then the year of the Lord's Jubilee. Let me tell you something about the the social economic revolution or movement by Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit jubilee the cancel of your deaths and the restoration of property and then let's fast forward let me tell you the story of two kings one called Herod and Herod's in the temple and he's got the girls dancing the happy Galola girls are dancing, doing their pole dancing, whatever they're doing. And there's this there's, there's licentiousness, there's greed, there's corruption. Here's Herod, the king. And all these rich cronies are there. And he sees one young girl and he just lusts after her and he wants her. And so what does he do? 
He calls her over and says, you know what? You just do a little dance for me and I'll give you anything you want. And what does her mother ask for? The head of John the Baptist. That represented, that banquet represents everything that's wrong with the world. The greed, the licentiousness, the lust for power, whether it's politics or business, capitalism has lost its face. And because the, the church is mostly silent on these things, you get a vacuum and then socialism comes in and Marxism comes in and all these isms come in, which are all the product of the mind of man, not the mind of Christ. What happens is and there, there, there he is, Herod. There's a banquet that represents Babylon, the mystery Babylon doing everything independently from God himself. Represents our cities. Represents our political systems. But let me tell you the story of another king. On a hillside. The king of all kings and the lord of all lords. Lord, should we send them away? Can get their own food. No. I'm going to show you justice. Amen. Because justice, my friends, my family, is not just about putting people in jail and giving them what their just deserts. Justice is about feeding the poor. Amen. Justice is about binding up the brokenhearted. Amen. Justice, justice is about righteous living. Justice. And what does Jesus do? takes a boy's lunch different king yeah. and he multiplies and he feeds them the tired and the hungry and the oppressed and the afflicted and the widows and the orphans those on the margins of society the immigrants who just want to become good Kiwis true yeah let me tell you now the refugees the way things are in the church to a large degree now it's like we've missed the apostolic mandate that we actually have we believe we've got to take things over we've got to force change if only we had a Christian government Christian government are not going to solve any of our problems. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will. And it's important we have good laws. Don't hear what I'm not saying. And an apostolic church is a group of people like we look at Jesus and, the, and, and Jesus' team and the composition of Jesus' team where he, if you look at Jesus' team, this is for another time. You see Jesus took .com, .gov, and .org onto his team. It's true. And he worked with .com, .gov, and .org. He worked with businessmen, the fishermen. They weren't poor fishermen. They were businessmen. They were employers. He worked with government officials and tax collectors. .com.gov.org. Let me see Paul the Apostle, .com.gov.org with Aquila and Priscilla and Erastus, the town official, working with them. And we see this pattern throughout those who understand what apostolic ministry actually is, working together with giftings to uproot and to tear down, to build and to plant. For what purpose? To bring, to live righteously and bring justice into every byway and highway of the Hawks Bay. 
Toby, please stand. Let me bring up the Lord's Prayer, please, just the first part. I'd like us to pray that first verse of the Lord's Prayer again. Can we do that a few times? Yes, yes, one, two, three. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the Hawks Bay as it is in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the Hawks Bay as it is in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the Hawks Bay. As it is in heaven, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Once more, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth. In the Hawks Bay, as it is in heaven. Let's give him a shout of praise. God, I bring you all the business people that are here this morning. I pray your favor and your blessings upon them. I bring the artists, the school teachers, the government officials, the politicians. I bring the students. the mums. I bring every one of them before you, Father, and I, I ask and pray that this thing of a social, economic movement empowered by the Holy Spirit would grip their hearts. And in the Spirit, I see you coming together around tables. I see you coming together around meals, having conversations. And saying, Lord, give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear. Give us strategy afresh. How do we bring justice? How do we bring justice to the Hawks Bay? Show us the weak, show us the broken, show us those on the margins. And give us strategy to reach them. Mike, for you. When we were praising and worshiping, I know Paul was caught up into the third heaven and he was given a blueprint of sorts. 
on how to administrate this thing of the kingdom. And I saw you standing and there were angels present with you. And conversation was taken and you were excited. It was, a, it was like you had the blueprints to a house, to a structure. And I believe that in that, from that picture, what God is going to do to you as an apostle, he's going to take you to greater levels and greater measures of kingdom understanding. He's got you locked down in the Hawks Bay for a season. And you, together with Joy and Dave and Kate, I see you planning and strategizing kingdom strategy to bring transformation into a region, into Napier, Hastings, Havelock North, Flaxmere. I see an increase in wisdom upon you, both Mike, if you like Mike and Dave, do you mind coming forward? And Kate, enjoy, do you mind standing here, please? Could you come right up here, please, just so I can sweat on you. I feel this prophetically for the four of you. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God said to Solomon, ask of me anything. Ask me anything and it is yours. And if we go read the scriptures carefully and we look at the Hebrew and the different translations, Solomon asked for a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom. He asked for discernment to administer the kingdom of God as an earthly king. And what I want to encourage you, and I feel this prophetically for the four of you, is to cry out to God in the next season for supernatural wisdom. And it's wisdom to administer justice and righteousness and to build. It's exactly what Solomon did, Matthew 6.33. And God gave Solomon everything. He didn't ask for money to make things work. He said, give me discernment, give me a discerning heart, give me insight, give me understanding. And later on in some of the verses it says that Solomon knew how to administer justice within the kingdom of God. And he never ran short of anything. He had everything because he tapped into the heart of the foundation of the throne of Christ himself. Heavenly Father, I pray over Mike and Joy, your blessings upon them, new levels, Father. New levels, Lord. New levels of understanding. New levels, Lord. New levels. New levels. I just get the word that drops in my spirit, Mike. David's raiding bands. And God bringing alongside you 
fivefold ministry, but are not superstars. Nameless, faceless, who are builders, who are builders. I see you rallying them together. I see like little Clapham sects of conversation with .com.gov.org. I see you as an apostle orchestrating this. I see city building, a nation building at a new level, a complete new level. I see a release of the treasures, treasury of heaven. I see resources. I see doors opening. I see finances, finances, finances that will follow. I see uh, business partnerships, Mike. I see business partnerships from places you had never, ever thought of. Where people, businessmen who have got surplus, who have got an abundance, who are looking for something worthwhile to invest in. I even see unsaved business people coming alongside you and saying, I can invest in this. I can invest in this. See the two of you together. You enjoy sitting at tables, having conversations, uprooting, tearing down, building and planting, transforming cities, communities in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I thank you for Dave, for Kate. Wow. <laughs> Is there another son? <laughs> Who, this guy? This girl? Yeah. God's a just God, but he also vindicates. And God is going to vindicate the two of you in such a powerful way in the season ahead. Increase measures of anointing and grace upon both your lives. Kate, for you, I believe the Lord would say, is going to teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. You're going to tap into depths of the grace of Jesus Christ. Not just for ministry, not just because there's a crisis, not just because, but because you have a heart that is hungry and you have a heart that is thirsty and you have a heart for more, for more and more and more. Today for you, I see you as a catalyst. You're like a magnet. Like God's magnet in bringing people together. In bringing people together. You're an enabler and a catalyst. I see sons and daughters and standing with you, running with you, holding your hands, laughing with you, hunting with you, having fun with you. Sons and daughters who will love you. I see you investing, investing, investing your life into this. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but for day for you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, but enjoy the now. That's what your dad's taught me. Enjoy the now. Smell the roses. The best is yet to come. Thank you, Father God. Father, I pray over this family. I pray your blessings upon this whole family. Bless them, watch over them, protect them, increase them, enlarge them. Just sure. Well, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Wow. Yep. Yeah. 
And I know you shared some things and I want to be integrous on this, but I just feel this so strongly in my heart. Kate, that passage before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's such a hunger and a thirst in your heart for the deep things of God. Grant's going to give you the desires of your heart. It's going to astound you. It's going to astound you. Unforced rhythms of grace in Jesus' name. Astound you. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you all. Thank you.